Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Jason Kinkartz of Orthopedic Clinic at Willis-Knighton. We're talking about shoulder pain, rotator cuff damage, all kinds of treatments and surgeries. And we'll be taking your calls throughout the show. As a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down all the way before making the call. And the number is 318-219-4569. And you'll see it across the bottom of your screen throughout the show while we talk to Dr. Kinkartz. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So we talked about a few minutes ago actually what a sports medicine surgeon does. So why don't you refresh us about that? Okay. So we are a subspecialty of orthopedic surgery, um, and we take care of activity and mobility-related issues of the musculoskeletal system. So it can be um, a chronic type of issue that's um, you know basically presented itself over time just from wear and tear. It can be from an acute injury or an event from a fall or um, you know, an accident that may have happened as well. And it's really across all age ranges. So sports medicine surgeons aren't just for athletes. We treat people who have activity-related injuries of the bones and joints and muscles so that we can keep them active and get them back to the things that they love to do. That's a really good point to come up with because usually it comes a little later in the discussion, but I like to get right to that for people listening. Sometimes we think we have to be an athlete or it has to definitely be a sports injury to go to a sports medicine surgeon, but that's not the case, no, right? No, not at all. We see a huge range of people. There are, you know, your competitive athletes, but, you know, are, you know those I would say are a, a portion of the patients that we see, but we see everyone from, you know, the elderly, uh, you know, as I said, geriatrics, all the way down to, you know, young, young, Know, adolescents yeah. and young children. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and you do all kinds of joints in orthopedic surgery, but today we're talking about shoulder pain. What are the most common reasons, the most common causes for shoulder pain? Yeah, the shoulder's a complex joint. Uh, it's a ball and socket joint that has many reasons uh, for potential pain. One of the most common ones would be of the rotator cuff. So the rotator cuff is, it's a sleeve of tendon that connects to the edge of the ball on this bump of bone called the greater tuberosity. And so the sleeve of tendon is pulled on by the muscles that connect to the shoulder blade, so to the scapula. The muscles are located on the shoulder blade and they're connected to these tendons that act like ropes to pull the ball and keep it centered in the socket. So that rotator cuff is a potential area where injuries and damage and chronic wear and tear can happen. And so that's a very common reason for patients to present to the sports medicine doctor in order to have that evaluated and managed. There are some other structures as well, but the most common one would be that rotator cuff where people have inflammation or damage or tears and uh, so we see a lot of that and um, keeps us keeps us busy in clinic. Okay, so tears and that's what the, where the pain comes from. Does, does that ever break that, that shoulder when you're, I broke my shoulder? Is that really what happened? Is it, yeah. does it break so, here? So most of the time when we're talking about rotator cuff injuries, the, the tendon is damaged to an extent and there's a huge spectrum of injury. It can be um, inflammation in the tendon that can progress to um, tearing, which can be you know low-grade um, partial thickness tearing of the tendon. It can also pull completely off the bone, and uh, that would be your full thickness type tear, which would tend to be more symptomatic typically. Um, so a big spectrum of, of injury in, the ten in this tendon, um, from inflammation all the way to a full thickness tear, and over time it can kind of, um, the muscles can pull that tendon farther and farther away from where it's supposed to be attached and uh, causing you know, usually a greater degree of disability and lack of function of the shoulder. And what do you do to go in and fix that? So we start with a careful uh, history and physical examination so that we can figure out you know, the acuity of the injury, when did it happen, the extent of pain, how much it's affecting the patient, and then deciding what we need to do in terms of you know, um, working up that further. T it tends to be usually x-ray, sometimes we get an MRI to take a look at the details of the soft tissues, and then we decide what we need to do. If there is a big tear that is not going to heal, 
There are rare cases where you might then talk about surgery right from the initial visit. Most of the time we're talking about you know, topical medications, pills, injections, and trying to get things under control so that we can first get pain reduced and then work on getting the shoulder stronger and rehabilitating it back to a normal functioning shoulder, which can involve home exercises supervised by the physician or physical therapy, which can usually, is usually done at a facility that specializes in you know, physical therapy and rehabilitation of injuries. Okay, and is it sooner the better? Do you see people go pretty long, not realizing what damage they did because They'll do something on their own, they'll ice it or take ibuprofen, whatever, and they don't really realize what they've done. Yeah, it is possible for folks to, to present to the physician with a, a um, advanced stage of damage of the rotator cuff. And so, you know, I would say in general, by about two weeks or so, if things aren't calming down, mm -hmm. if we're using those, the, the over-the-counter types of remedies, if we're, you know, um, protecting it and, and trying to give it some ice and uh, some attention and trying to reduce pain, and maybe even seeing the, the primary care doctor, they, they can kind of initiate some of that treatment as well and discuss with the patient. But uh, after usually a couple of weeks, if things aren't getting better, then it would be important to have that medically evaluated and at least by your primary care physician, but certainly seeing the orthopedic sports doctor is, is uh, you know, very reasonable as well. And then deciding you know, what the physical exam shows and then from there determining whether we would need to get further imaging and deciding how serious it is so that we can not miss something. Because if you're waiting months or years, the tear can progress substantially and it can make something that's a fixable situation into an irreparable type of rotator cuff tear. And those are certainly much harder to um, to manage and harder to do well with. So yeah. it's important to, to pay attention to symptoms. Yeah, I would imagine. And what if you know, like, well, I didn't do anything. Maybe I slept wrong or it just kind of crept up and now it's excruciating. Um, what are some of the signs that, what, what would that be? So yeah, it's, it can be positional related. Sometimes folks will do just the right thing to create some inflammation. But inflammation usually subsides with doing some of the right treatments for the shoulder. Um, but uh, if things are not getting better, that's the point where I think you know having it looked at and uh, figuring out the extent of any damage there. And again, sometimes it does require getting an MRI of a shoulder in order to look at the soft tissues, whereas the x-rays show bone, the MRI will show us the soft tissue details so that we can figure out what that rotator cuff looks like, if there's any tearing and how bad that may be. Um, but if we ignore it, the problem is it can get much worse to the point where sometimes the repair, uh, attempting a surgical repair may not be successful or may be less, more, more likely to fail, less likely to succeed and to return the shoulder to its previous level of function and, and restoring that anatomy. Yeah. And do you see a lot of wear and tear from people carrying heavy bags, heavy purses, backpacks maybe? Uh, do you find that? Can that really do a lot of damage? It, it can. It, it can cause symptoms. You know, the, the thing with the rotator cuff is that the blood flow to the rotator cuff is not optimal. So when, there are, when there's injury and damage to the rotator cuff, it has difficulty healing. So those small, um, small amounts of trauma accumulate over time, contributing to that tendon tear where I was just sleeping, I woke up, now I have pain. And so that may not be an actual injury that caused that. It could be that, you know, for whatever reason, um, the, the, the amount of damage finally accumulated to a level that was noticeable by the patient. And that tear could have happened without any real reason. It could have just been based on, you know, the blood flow issues with that rotator cuff. And it can happen without trauma. Okay, we have a call for you. Thank you. Hi, Gary, thanks for calling. What's your question? Yes, I have a problem with my left shoulder. I had it uh, dislocated twice. Okay, so and, and it's causing a continued, so continued pain and uh, and any other so yes, pain and weakness. Yes, okay. it won't let me sleep sometimes. You know what I'm saying, and it's causing me to have headaches, eye aches. Okay. Okay, so for a dislocated shoulder, 
there are multiple injuries that can happen. And the thing we worry about is, so the cup has a gasket around it, and it's hard to see on this model because it's, it's concealed by these um, pieces of plastic, these tendons. But the cup has a gasket called a labrum. So that's a fibrocartilage rim around the cup that deepens the socket. When there's a dislocation, that gasket can become, become damaged and it, it doesn't heal on its own. Uh, and so when we have a damage to that gasket, that labrum, um, it can cause recurrence of dislocation, which is what you've just described. You've had two dislocations, the shoulder's painful. Uh, not that, it, it is also possible to, to injure the rotator cuff with a dislocation, but there are other injuries that we worry about when we have specifically a dislocation of the shoulder. And so it's important to have you know, a proper evaluation uh, it, it's unlikely, since you've had now recurrence of dislocation, that this will go away on its own. And so, you know, most likely getting an MRI would be a reasonable step for the shoulder to take a look to determine the extent of the damage. Uh, and then also to look at that rotator cuff, because it can become injured. In, in, in the older population, rotator cuff injury is more common. In the younger population, labral injury, the gasket becoming injured and causing recurrence of instability is more common. And so it depends, the age does predict a little bit of how we recover from a shoulder dislocation. So those are important things to know, but with recurrent instability, it's important to know what the supporting structures look like to determine if they might need to be fixed. Uh, you know, rehabilitation and physical therapy are an option, but you know, if there's this recurrence, I would worry that we won't get through that and have a stable shoulder without looking at least into the nature of the injury and determining if something may need to be um, looked into and, and treated surgically. Yes, it, it has to have surgery on it because my doctor told me that I was going to have to have surgery on it. They told me they either they either go through the back of my neck or through the side of my neck. And that may be two different issues. Now, for a dislocating shoulder, a neck can cause shoulder pain and vice versa. Shoulder and neck are intimately related. And so if the neck is part of the problem, that neck surgery can fix problems related to the cervical spine, but neck surgery will not fix the shoulder and vice versa. Shoulder surgery tends to not fix any neck-related symptoms. But for neck surgery, that does fix things like disc herniations, compression on nerve roots, or on even the spinal cord that can cause symptoms that can mimic shoulder pain. So it may be that there are two separate issues here. But I would not predict that a, a cervical spine surgery, a neck surgery through the front or back, would stabilize the shoulder or fix issues related to shoulder instability or, to, or possibly even shoulder pain, unless that pain was related to nerve roots coming from the neck. Does that answer your question, Gary? Yes, ma'am. That answered a whole lot for me. I see all the pain medication that they've been giving me and it ain't none of it working. Well, hopefully that surgery will fix it. You won't have to be on so much medication. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for calling. Good luck with um, everything. Good luck, Gary. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all have a blessing. You too. Thank, thank you. you. you too. But that's some good questions, though. Sometimes, like, we don't know what's related to what. Mm -hmm. And so could it possibly, like, the dislocation did damage some nerves or twist some nerves? So that's not really what they're fixing, but some nerves? Well, if, if they're treating the neck, that would be yeah. more the cervical nerve roots or, yeah. so discs, bone and discs in the cervical spine. Um, you can injure nerves in the shoulder, so brachial plexus injuries can get injured, and that's you know, you know, geographically kind of where the shoulder is. Uh, you can injure nerves though with dislocation. Uh, it's not as common with your typical rotator cuff type of I issue or pain that nerves are involved with that. The nerves are usually not involved. So, right. you know, if there's pain in the base of the neck, kind of down the arm, back of the shoulder, or down the back of the the arm, the, the actual arm itself, the brachium we call it in medicine. 
those may not be shoulder related so it's important to have a proper physical exam it's really right. critical to have a thorough evaluation to make sure that we're not treating the wrong thing because there are folks that have treatment of neck where it's shoulder pain or shoulder for neck pain and you're not going to expect recovery of your issue and resolution of pain from that issue when you are treating you know the something that is not the primary underlying problem well, it's interesting to talk about, too. It's all related, and you never know where an initial mm -hmm. injury is going to affect something else. And yeah. that something else turns out to be the bigger bigger thing, or True. it points to something maybe that's already happening. Are there right. any other areas or things to think about if you have shoulder pain or injury that it might affect? So for shoulder pain, we worry about, for example, people talk about thoracic outlet syndrome. Um, there is the, a, a tangle of nerves um, that live just in the upper shoulder kind of clavicle area, the brachial plexus, which is nerves that come from the neck. But when it comes down to confusion between you know different diagnoses neck and shoulder are the ones that are often confused and can mimic one another um, so the neck is the big one that we often see in fact I see neck pain you know frequently because people may not realize that it's actually the shoulder um, or so shoulder or neck and, and they're so they can be very confusing and even you know some of the primary care providers may just um, the patient may say, well, I've got some pain in this area, and then it's, it's you know, thought to be shoulder, and getting a good exam then will help us to further determine what the actual underlying cause is, and sometimes advanced imaging as well can help to further reinforce and support what our, our that differential di that, that diagnosis was. Yeah, so definitely follow that. If your doctor says, let's really take a look. Mm -hmm. If it does need MRI, any kind of x-rays, let's get in there and see what's really going on. Because we hear that a lot, too. Oh, I dislocated my shoulder. And you hear somebody do that, and they're like, just to wrap it and keep it still. But what is it? How do we know that? What does it feel like if it's dislocated? Mm -hmm. So shoulder dislocation, it can happen from a number, a range of types of incidents and injuries. It's usually a fairly traumatic event like a fall, um, a contact sport, um, motor vehicle accident, but it's usually a fairly traumatic event to have a true shoulder dislocation. A separation involves a, a different part of the shoulder. It's the, it's the top part of the shoulder. So we're talking about the acromioclavicular joint. That's a separation. A true dislocation involves the ball and socket joint. And you know, 95% of these pop out the front when it happens. You have to have pretty significant injury to the front structures of the shoulder when we're talking about a shoulder dislocation. And you know, when it does dislocate, it's it's most common that you'd need to go to seek care urgently. So in an emergency room physician type setting is where you're gonna get the care for a dislocated shoulder and oftentimes involves sedation of some sort to get somebody um, relaxed and comfortable to, to kind of pull that back into socket. Mm -hmm. So it's not something subtle. When you dislocate a shoulder, usually you know it. <laughs> but there are folks that have unstable shoulders that we call it, so a subluxation is, a, is on the spectrum of dislocation. A subluxation is a joint that kind of slides out but can kind of go back in on its own. So it's, it's a, a slightly different type of finding. A subluxation is a joint that's not quite stable. And there are folks that have looser jointed shoulders, for example, than, than others. And so a shoulder can slide around in the joint and feel like it's dislocating. But a true dislocation, when we think of in general, uh, and you know, the, the, the typical scenario involves a traumatic event leading to the ball popping completely out of the socket and usually does not go back in without medical assistance. Right. And you hear, you see on TV and you see people just like, just going to pop that back in. Do you suggest that? No. You know, it, it's probably a good idea to figure out if there's a broken bone because right. fractures and broken, um, so broken bones and shoulder dislocation can feel similar. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to force something back in where you've got sharp uh, edges of bone, which is common when you've True. got a, a bad, you know, arm bone or, or upper arm bone type fracture, it's probably better to know. And it's hard to know that just with, um, you know, uh, examining externally. So mm -hmm. just looking at the shoulder, you may not know that. So. I mean, probably ideal to have a medical provider decide with getting x-rays to determine the exact nature of injury and having proper 
pain management and sedation in order to get that back in safely. The more you're fighting that getting back in, the more you can cause further damage to the bones, which is not an uncommon problem with dislocation. The bones can become eroded and actually fractured. Mm. There's specific names, um, that, eponyms that we use for those that are um, you know, very common and seen with shoulder dislocation. So it's important to know that as well because that can also affect the prognosis the long-term outcome of the injury. Yeah, you don't want to do more damage. Correct. Than it was already done. And yes. say, you know, it's the architects. There's a lot of farming, a lot of farm equipment. Sometimes you're out in a remote area, you're working the hay and the cows, and mm -hmm. something happens, and you can't really get somewhere right away. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe your house is close by, but what do you, do you stabilize it? What if you feel like you, you can tell you've really knocked it out and it's in pain? What do you do until you can't yeah, get there? Yeah, there are some ways to, to reduce the shoulder, to reduce means kind of pop it back in. There are ways to pop that shoulder back in on your own. It can be hard to do. Number one is being relaxed and calm and allowing the, the muscles to relax. So mm -hmm. there are mechanisms of, um, you know, methods of kind of holding weight and, and laying kind of um, chest down on a table. And, oh. uh, you know, so allowing that weight to slowly um, just relax the muscles a bit further and, and it, can, it can get back in on its own. These are the sim similar principles we use in, in the clinic or in the emergency room or even in the operating room when we're trying to reduce a shoulder. So the same way to do that, but again, without knowing for sure what that diagnosis is, it can be a little bit risky, but there are ways to do it at home. So, you know, the, uh, there's the Stimson, Stimson technique and other ways that you can try to, um, you can kind of grab around your arm, uh, arms around your knee and your leg and kind of use that to kind of pull forward. Oh. So there's some different ways to do that that have been, you know, you can find them online, I'm sure, but you know, you have to be careful because if you're not sure of the diagnosis, further injury may happen. And it's certainly important to have a medical provider at least provide some input to determine if further treatment is needed. Because that's a more serious injury. Right. I wouldn't recommend ignoring a shoulder dislocation and just kind of treating it on your own. Right. Those are things that should be treated in a medical setting. Although, you know, just your, you know, atraumatic or kind of overuse related shoulder pain, that would be reasonable to treat that for, you know, a couple of weeks or a short period of time on your own before deciding that it was needing, uh, needing attention of a medical provider. And so the biggest thing is really, if you can, that makes more sense to just try to relax it first. Take a deep breath, just relax it so that nothing is forced and clenched up in there might alleviate some of the pain that's going on. And right. then you suggest just ice it and keep it, like you're gonna go straight to the doctor, what's the thing that you do? I, I would recommend going straight to a medical it, provider. Okay, and just keep it still? You could use, or you could use um, a bed sheet and yeah. just tie it into a kind of a, a, a makeshift sling. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, ice is always welcome when we have a traumatic event to the shoulder. We wanna reduce inflammation and swelling. Um, and we wanna make sure that we're protecting it and uh, having it properly immobilized until we have you know, medical evaluation. But for dislocations, I would recommend having that evaluated urgently yeah. at, at an emergency room setting so that we have you know, the proper diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So just relax it on your way to the doctor, mm -hmm. on sure. the way to see yes. you, tell them what's going on in there. Yeah, correct. So what about arthritis? We hear about arthritis settling in, jo in joints, and is it true that if you have an injury that it's more prone to have arthritis, or is that just something that my grandmother has always told me? So injuries, certain injuries can predispose to arthritis. Arthritis is a very common shoulder issue causing pain that we see. Again, it's usually slightly older age groups that we're seeing that in, but it can happen in a younger age for a number of reasons. Um, and there are certain injuries that can cause a shoulder arthritis that can predispose us to that. One of them is rotator cuff tear. Mm -hmm. If it's mismanaged, ultimately that can progress to what we call rotator cuff tear arthropathy, where the ball migrates upward from the pull of the deltoid. So the ball starts to actually articulate with, uh, in a non-anatomic fashion, in an irregular fashion with the bone, this bridging bone over top called the acromion. So when the rotator cuff is torn, the biomechanics of the shoulder become affected. And over time, that will wear out the ball and socket. The articular cartilage will become damaged. So rotator cuff tears can cause arthritis. It's a special, unique version of arthritis. Um, 
Arthritis can also happen from injuries, for example, fractures, when you've got damage of the, the cartilage layer lining the ends of the bone in the ball and socket joint. That can lead to arthritis as well. Um, so uh, joint irregularities, there are certain um, systemic or body-wide uh, types of things that can cause arthritis. So rheumatoid arthritis causes damage to joints as well, including the shoulder. Um, but you know, the most common thing is just kind of wear and tear, using the shoulder, laborers, people who do a lot of heavy lifting, mm -hmm. folks that are just active, um, but injury can predispose us to that. Um, there are many different ways that we can have an arthritic shoulder. And so um, similar idea that we want to kind of go through the same logic with proper evaluation and going through the non-operative things first rather than rushing right into something surgical. But there are some good surgeries for that. Okay. And if you wake up or you say just progressively, you just said your range of motion is just going. What is this telling me that I can't lift as much? I can't even string my arm up high. Is that something right, that yeah. could be going on in there? Or? So um, stiff shoulders can happen for a number of reasons. It can happen from inflammation, from pain. Sometimes folks just don't want to move their shoulder because it's too uncomfortable. But we would worry about, we call it adhesive capsulitis or arthrofibrosis, so fibrotic shoulder. And that can happen for no reason at all other than just um, you know, our, our biology and um, age and certain medical conditions can predispose to that. Okay, hmm. we have Jordan on the line for you right now. Hi Jordan, thanks for calling, what's your question? Hey, how are you? And Merry Christmas. Uh, I just would like to know if uh, polymyalgia is as bad as what uh, they say. I'm calling for a friend of mine. Is that something that can, so, so we start talking about arthritis in the shoulder? Okay, so the, so the question is, does fibromyalgia cause shoulder pain? Is or that polymyalgia? Is that po poly? Poly, was it polymyalgia? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so shoulder pain can be caused by those systemic types of problems. So fibromyalgia, poly, uh, you know, polymyalgia, rheumatica, and, and other uh, situations, they can cause multiple joint aches and pains. Um, and so the answer is yes, it can cause shoulder pain. Uh, you would certainly would want to rule out other causes of pain as well, just to dismiss it as, well, I've got the diagnosis of you know, X, Y, or Z. You would want to make sure that um, you know, if it's something not getting better, same, the same principles apply. If we're not seeing improvement of the symptoms, I would have it further looked into. And if there is you know, a rheumatologist or a primary care provider that's managing that condition, to at least start with them and then move on to seeing the orthopedic physician thereafter in order to make sure that we have you know, an accurate diagnosis, talking about the, uh, the proper non-operative treatments for this, and seeing if we can try to get that under control without using a scalpel and seeing you know, what, what may be done. But ensuring the you know, proper workup and, and the diagnosis can help to make sure that you're optimizing treatment to get that pain hopefully to, to go away. Okay, can I just ask you something else? Yes. Uh, the, if you just lay in the bed and lay in the bed day and night, does that help any of it? So you're saying just inactivity and, and protecting and not using. So the problem with the yeah. human body is that it responds well to being used in general. So if we, if we have lack of use, we have muscle deconditioning and the bones can also become, um, they can resorb or can, they can diminish some of their bone density. So bones can become weaker and muscles become sh smaller, they become atrophied. So in general, lack of use is not the best approach. When there's pain, a short period of activity reduction or protecting is reasonable, but prolonged dis disuse of limbs or bodies and, and not doing things will eventually cause further issues that would make the problem ultimately probably worse. So as the shoulder gets weaker, there's a bigger chance of having 
rotator cuff tendonitis, bursitis, things that cause pain. So we want to have an adequate and appropriate level of reduction of activity and then start to ramp up once the symptoms have had a chance to become um, improved by that initial brief period of rest. Sometimes it involves physical therapy and working with a professional to do the right things safely so that we're not making the pain worse, but having adequate rest, but then progressing with a, an appropriate routine to get things stronger. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank My you. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling. I think that's a lot of things too that I'm, I'm glad you're here to talk about that too. Sometimes we think just keep it still, but you're right, the body responds more to movement, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. And you mentioned so frozen shoulder, yeah, stiff frozen shoulder. shoulder. So if we don't use it, eventually any limb, any joint can get stiff if you immobilize it long enough. And some folks immobilize just voluntarily. They keep the shoulder at the side. They're not lifting up the top shelf in, in the kitchen anymore. So they're not using the shoulder and that will eventually, um, could could potentially create those issues of stiffness. But there are multiple factors that can tie into causing this fr frozen or stiff shoulder. For example, injury is an, a thing that is associated with a frozen shoulder, but you know, um, uh, multiple other factors as well, including you know, menopause, so estrogens and hormonal levels, um, you know, injuries and pain, trauma to the shoulder, where you know, just so many different factors that can, can tie into that. And a frozen shoulder can be very difficult to treat, so it's important to have proper guidance with that and making sure that we have physical therapy and things that can reduce the inflammation and pain in the shoulder so that we can try to help get it moving and restore the motion. And there are times where surgery is indicated for that after an extensive period of failed non-operative treatment, which must involve aggressive activities and exercise and stretching to get the motion back. Okay, and if you are feeling that pain, do and like, oh, well, I don't wanna do it anymore because it hurts. <laughs> but do you suggest like maybe just going as far as you can a couple of times a day, just keep, you know, not forcing anything, but to keep, you know, not make yourself really in pain, but if it is hurting, go ahead and just work it and keep it moving. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great point. And so if we lack, if we just don't use the shoulder at all, eventually it, it tends to freeze up. Yeah. So it depends what the pain is from, ultimately. If there's inflammation and we can reduce that inflammation with ice or using the over-the-counter anti-inflammatories or even topicals, and it starts to subside, you know, we just don't want to push through pain that is an indicator of something damaged and wrong. So if I have a fracture and I'm trying to push through that, that may not be the right thing to do. But if there's pain from inflammation or I've just got a bit of a, an inflamed shoulder or stiff shoulder from overusing it, I played tennis for a couple days in a row and now my shoulder's hurting, then it may be a good idea to try to stretch and move the shoulder and really try to regain motion uh, rather than just disuse and letting it become stiff. So using it but knowing a bit about why the shoulder is painful can help us to, say, to, to determine whether it's safe to, to try to push through with motion. Right. For pushing when we have, we, I fell, now my shoulder, it's bruised, it's hurt, it's swollen, and I'm trying to push through to get motion, you could be causing compromise to a potentially you know, non-displaced fracture, and then if it becomes displaced, then you're maybe talking about different treatment options, so you might have caused more harm than good. Yeah, but once you know that there's nothing serious going on in there, just try to keep, um, Correct. keep it moving Keeping as much as you can. Yes. And what about things over the counter? Like we've always heard about Ben Gay and ice and things that we could get old a long time ago, everything that we do. And now I'm sure there's a, a huge array of different topical things we can use. And do we put ice for something acute, which is right away, and then warmth for something that's nagging and been there a while, or do we alternate? What's the best way yeah, to use yeah, these heat are all and cold? Great questions. So there are, I mean, hundreds of topicals. I think it's about experimenting and finding which one works best. One that has anti-inflammatory properties would probably be ideal because most joints when they're painful have some level of inflammation. Right. So there's diclofenac, uh, you know, versions of diclofenac topicals. There's some are prescription, but right off the shelf as well. There are some that have anti-inflammatories, um, so aspirin, you know, 
acetosalicylic acid um, is another one that may be useful in order to try to reduce inflammation. Some have a lidocaine, so a numbing agent mm. that, for example, the dentist would use in the mouth. Yeah. So that would be reasonable as well. Um, so anti-inflammation is definitely important. Ice is a great anti-inflammatory. And as you mentioned, early on is the best time to use that because that's when the inflammation is usually worst. Once that inflammation has calmed down, then you would want to go ahead and use other things that would be, um, so sometimes heat to, re to reduce um, the stiffness and bring back some motion. Yeah, okay. So ice for inflammation, which is swelling. It could be swelling that you see. It could be swelling inside that you don't know about, but that's usually a cause of pain sometimes too. Correct. Okay, and mm -hmm. then the heat is for more relaxing and, and easing. Yeah, in general, probably after the first couple of weeks, yeah. you know, as that joint is becoming stiff, using heat can help to promote motion. Yeah. And using that under the direction of a physical therapist can be a good way to mm -hmm. make sure that we're using it at the right thing at the right time. But in general, ice early on after an injury to reduce inflammation and swelling. And then heat as we are more of the, the, the longer term or farther out from the injury to try to help regain some motion and, uh, and create flexibility. And again, see your doctor and ask questions about that. Yes. Instead of just yes. assuming when, that you when in doubt, yes, I definitely <laughs> could seek medical care. Definitely. And there's never a silly question or something that we should know. If you're not sure, even if you think you're sure, call and confirm Absolutely. with your doctor. Yeah. We don't want to cause yeah. further injury. We want to make sure that we're doing the yeah. right thing. And that's another thing to think about. No matter what you're doing, you think you're doing the right thing, you could cause further injury because you don't know what's going on. Possible. Yeah. Possible, yes. So what's something else that you'd like to leave us with this holiday season about shoulder injuries, arthritis and pain? What would you like us to keep in mind while we're here? And people visiting. We might have people visiting mm -hmm. if something happens. So what's, we have a few more seconds. Yeah, I think in general, just you know, daily physical activity I think is important. We want to make sure we're maintaining ideal body weight, helps the joints. You know, physical activity uh, doesn't have to be something intense, uh, but just staying active, trying to maintain ideal body weight and a healthy, smart and balanced diet to make sure that we are you know, really keeping the body healthy really is gonna be the best solution, I think, for long-term success for the musculoskeletal system. Definitely keep moving. Yes. Just keep moving. Doesn't have to be any strenuous to overdo it. Just keep keep moving. Would you like to give your phone number for people who might yeah, want to reach so you? Yeah, our clinic number, 3182123610. Uh, We're happy to help out anyone who needs uh, any bone injury. Certainly or. appreciate talking to you today. Thank you, Dr. Kinkarts. Pleasure being here, thank you. Thank you, and everyone, thank you for watching us on Healthline 3. We'll see you next time.